The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What does it mean to be present? To try and stay in the moment that you're in and not worry about the future or regret the past. It's something I've been trying to do for a long time. I'm Diane Ray, and I have always had questions about the big picture. God, life after death, spirituality, metaphysics, and what drives people to do what they do. And I like to ask them about it and learn from it. If you're a seeker like me, I hope you join me for some of these conversations on the podcast and be present with me in this moment. Thanks for joining me for the conversation today, and welcome to the podcast. This is for people who are asking themselves the bigger questions and opening their minds to new ideas, and basically people who are interested in the same things that I am. So if that's you, welcome. So today I'm challenging all of us, myself included, to think about the climate change crisis from a new perspective. So think back uh, January of 2021, a few days after the riots at the Capitol, there was a conversation taking place between the Dalai Lama and climate change activist Greta Thunberg that was watched by millions of people on a live stream. I think the juxtaposition is interesting. It's interesting to note it took place a few days after the insurrection that stunned America and left many of us hopeless for the future because this conversation was something that could give us hope. So this event was hosted by the Mind and Life Institute, and this is an organization that's been around for over 30 years with the mission of creating science and contemplative wisdom and bringing that together to better understand the mind and to create positive change in the world. And the event was introduced by my guest today, that I'm really happy uh, that she could join us, Susan Bauer Wu, who's the president of the Mind and Life Institute. And if you'd like to find out more about what they're about, it's an incredible organization. Just go to mindandlife.org. And she's written a great book that I've been spending some time with, and we're going to talk about it today, called A Future We Can Love, How We Can Reverse the Climate Crisis with the Power of Our Hearts and Minds. And this book was inspired by the conversation that took place between the Dalai Lama and Greta. So Susan, I'm so glad you could join me today to talk about this. It's really important. Thanks so much, Diane. It's really my pleasure to be here. And this book was sparked from a conversation and hopefully it will spark many other conversations. And one theme or main message that I've gotten from what I've read in the book is that we have to be talking about this subject and continue to educate people on the climate crisis. And was that your hope or one of your hopes in writing the book to keep the conversation going? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, the, the book was inspired by a conversation. It was a conversation with the Dalai Lama and Greta Thunberg and a couple of climate scientists as well. And we wrote the book. The book is written like a conversation. And my hope is that it's going to continue to spark the conversation. Because I can say from my own personal experience, before I was on this climate awakening journey, um, I was kind of afraid to talk about it. And it seemed like I didn't know what to say. And I was afraid to say I'd say the wrong thing. Or maybe if we talked about it, it might be make it scarier. And what I have found from my own personal experience is that actually by talking about it and having intergenerational conversations like the event that Mind and Life hosted, it actually makes it less scary and it makes it makes me feel, you know, more empowered and, and more connected with others on this journey. Well, that's how I've felt reading the book. And I'm so glad that you said that. It, ma it makes me feel so much more comfortable because to be honest, when my friend Beth, uh, the publicist uh, that we both know and love, introduced me to the book, I was scared because I thought, what do I know about climate change? <laughs> I can't mm -hmm. talk intelligently about any of the science. I have a grasp. I mean, I believe it's happening. Mm -hmm. I know that the polar ice caps are melting. That's causing you know, the earth to heat up. We can see the extreme weather events that are happening. It's happening. I believe it. But I felt, oh, I can't talk to Susan about this. Mm -hmm. And then as I read the book, and and I want to encourage people to to pick it up and, and read it, because if you're like me and you care about the environment, but you're intimidated, like you said, and you're afraid that you're not able to discuss what's going on, this book really presents a lot of the science in such uh, an accessible way. So I, I really appreciate that because I felt a lot more comfortable and then I was more comfortable getting ready to talk to you thinking, mm -hmm. oh, I'm not going to sound too much like an idiot that I don't know anything about climate change. So it is, it's important to keep the conversations going and to educate people. And, and I think that this book is really going to, to help people in that way. Mm -hmm. I hope so. So I want to thank you for that. Yeah, so one of the things that I've learned from the book is that there's actually a, a word for what I was trying to describe with the, the polar ice caps melting, the earth heating, and it's called feedback loops, right? And, and there's a lot of different feedback loops actually happening. And it's uh, the issue is very important that we understand this because time is of the essence, right? Mm -hmm. And and you do offer some hopeful on. Uh, news and information on, on how we can actually contribute to, to helping to stop this. So I guess uh, just to explain to people in an easy way, what, it, what is a feedback loop? Yeah. So climate feedback loops, it's a, it was a new concept for me as well until I actually got turned on to this, this concept. And essentially it's the earth's warming is actually contributing to, con to even greater warming. So as, as the global temperatures go higher and higher, that actually accelerates. So as, um, so that's the, the part that is like, oh no, that's happening quickly. Like it, it, it accelerates it. But to me, that's actually where the hope is as well, because if we can begin to slow down the heating and actually begin to cool the earth, the cooling can also accelerate itself as well. Right. And a beautiful thing that I was reading in the book is that the earth is, is intelligent and knows how to fix this, right? Yes. Yes. And so if we just support 
I say Mother Earth, if we support her, mm-hmm. you know, in doing this work, this there is hope. This can be reversed and this can be fixed because the earth knows what to do. You said it very beautifully, Diane. That's <laughs> that's that's absolutely true. Yeah. And I mean, we can see what's happening. I mean, as we tape this now, my hometown of Fort Lauderdale mm-hmm. has received an unprecedented rain deluge where they received more than 25 inches of rain in six hours. I've never seen that happen in in my hometown. I mean, I'm living in San Diego now, but growing up, even in a generation, so a a generation can be defined as like 25 years, right? So we can see what's happening just over the past 25 years with these increased weather events, the the hurricanes, the horrible Hurricane Dorian that flattened um, the Abacos in the Bahamas in 2019. Mm-hmm. And and this this alone, I mean, it's something we're seeing in real time. Absolutely. That, every, every part of the world. I mean, yeah. I would expect that every listener either personally has been affected by it and notices it or knows a loved one who's been affected by it. And basically between the... Um, extreme um, heat that's causing uh, wildfires to to happen here where I live in Charlottesville, Virginia. We really didn't have much of a winter at all. And spring came a month earlier than usual. And so between the um, extreme hurricanes, the the droughts, the fires, um, it's it's right before our eyes. Right. And that alone should make us wake up a little bit. What do you think about the, I think one of the main things that's causing so many problems is disinformation, right? There's so much bad information that's out there. There's a lot of people that are denying that this is even happening. And I think people just don't trust the news. They don't trust where they're getting their information. Mm -hmm. How, I mean, your book is a great start. Like how can people really educate themselves with real hard facts and and science that they can trust. Yeah, well, I think I think you're pointing to a a, a large issue that we're we're facing um, in this country and really all over the world. And uh, so what I I would recommend is actually use your your own wise judgment to provide helpful information because the science is out there, and I can absolutely point you to to sources. Um, and the book actually has a lot of resources in the in the in the back of it. And we talk about the science in the book. But what I would actually, you know, instead recommend is instead of questioning what you're reading or hearing, which I think we should, right? Because there's a, there's just mixed messages that we're hearing out there. But rather, wake up to what you are seeing and experiencing either you or your loved ones are seeing or, and experiencing and then we can realize we can't we can't deny what's actually happening. Right. And the science is out there like you said and the book has some great resources that people can follow up on and just open your eyes and look around and, mm-hmm. and see for yourself what's happening and you and you really can't can't deny it. And yeah. and one of the hopeful things that that I got from the book is one of them, the fact that the earth is smart and can fix this problem. Mm -hmm. And we have to trust and support her and help her to do this work. Mm -hmm. And, And one of those things is working together 
with other people, you know, working with your community, planting trees, the importance of, of forest and the old growth forest and, and how those mm-hmm. contribute to helping, you know, helping earth, helping to save all of us. Mm-hmm. And what do you think are just a few practical steps that people can take to work with their communities, you know, to embrace the other? Because that's another big problem too, is that we don't trust each other. And a lot of times we don't even like each other. How, how can we overcome that? I mean, that's a big, that's a big question. Yeah, but you know, I think when we really get to know one another, you know, you, you can't hate someone you know. <laughs> I mean, you, you really can't push them away once you get to know somebody. And I do think working in community is, and being in community is really important, whether it's with strangers or it's with, with loved ones. And, um, you know, I will, I will say for, for me, one ritual that I've gotten into that's been um, quite, quite humbling in a way is I grab a bag and I go out on, on Sunday afternoons and I, and I pick up trash. And when I do that, it, it, it's done a couple of things. One is I get to say hello to my neighbors. They say hello to me. People that I even though I live down the street from them, we really didn't know each other and they, they wave and they just start simple conversations and thank me for doing that. And it feels good. It makes me feel good for doing it. It's reinforcing. And then the other thing is actually helps me to be in right relationship with say single use plastic bottles, which are all over the place. You know, we just go into a convenience store. We pick something up because we're thirsty. We, we get, you know, a, a water or a soda because we're, we're thirsty. And we don't really think about where it came from and where it's going to go when we're done with that one time using it. And so I've kind of had my own awakening on my Sunday morning, my Sunday afternoon rituals of, of picking up the trash. And, um, you know, planting trees, community gardens. There, there are endless ways that we can um, work with community. Going to the farmers market. Um, another ritual my husband and I have been enjoying is actually going to the local recycling center, rather than having somebody pick up our trash, which we used to do. We decided, okay, we want to be more in relationship to where this is going, and it's really made us conscious of what we're buying. Is it actually a recyclable plastic or not? Those are great ideas. And we don't realize until we we look at our own consumption. I mean, we're such a, a consuming, like, well, I can't even think of the right word, <laughs> gluttonous, you know, just a, a society that we're consume, consume all the time. Mm-hmm. I just read something recently. I wish I could remember exactly where this is, but there's a mountain of clothes of like single use. They call it fast fashion. Mm-hmm. And people end up wearing it a couple of times and then they throw it away and then it ends up just like in a big mound and they end up burning it. And no one knows what to do with it. I mean, we, we just seem to consume, consume so much. And I've tried to watch, you know, my, uh, my own consumption. And I look around in my neighborhood and I see there are some restaurants that are offering, you know, Hey, don't take plastic. If you bring in a container, we'll give you a discount. There's mm-hmm. a place right down the street that does that. And there are more companies moving towards, uh, materials that are more biodegradable mm-hmm. and trying to move away from plastics, but it seems like it's so slow. I mean, we were talking about this in the seventies, you know, the, in the crying Indian and like, we, we knew about this, right. And uh, it just seems like it, it's slow moving 
but it, but it is getting better, right? It seems to me that there definitely are many more people that are realizing that there's an issue and that they want to be part of the solution and not to contribute, continue to contribute to the problem. And these are people who I would say are not necessarily into the environmental movement and are vegetarian or anything like that, but they're realizing, hey, because they care about their family. They care about their community. Right. You know, there's 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 a, a climate scientist who's actually mentioned in the book, Catherine Hayhoe. And um, Catherine actually uh, lives in Texas and is a scientist. She's an evangelical Christian. And her approach is essentially, we don't, anybody who cares about anything, climate affects them. And you have to, you enter the conversations at the place of what is most important to, to people. And, 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 and there's an entry place for everybody. Right. There's a great quote in the book that you share from the Dalai Lama that we can't just pray to the deities of, of whoever it is, you know, Buddha, uh, you know, Jesus, or like we, we can't, we can't ask for otherworldly help really. We created this problem as humans and we have to take ownership of that and contribute to the the solution. Like there's not going to be a magical wand that will be waved, you know, to fix everything. And and your book is a good wake-up call for this, right? I mean, that's really what you want people to do to keep the conversation going and to take their own responsibility and accountability, right? Even our own little space. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it means us realizing that maybe we need to change things. We're, you know, we're, we're creatures of comfort. And I would say personally for myself, uh, what's been most challenging is that I've actually had to change some things. An example is, you know, even though I feel like I've been on this and aware of this for a long time, it wasn't until I, that event and me writing the book that I realized there was more that I could do and I shouldn't be, be, be afraid of it. And COVID actually helped a bit because one of the things that I used to do, and I'll be, be honest and admit it, is that I traveled without blinking an eyelash. It was whether it was for work or going on vacations whenever I could and, and what, whatever um, places I wanted to go and could afford to go, I would do it without thinking about it. And now it, with COVID and with this, this new awakening, I'm realizing I don't have to travel to have a good time. And actually being able to stay closer to home is w way more meaningful than I realized. And that there's things that I can do and people I could see that are right in my own backyard that are very fulfilling and I don't need to hop on a plane to do that. Right. That's a good point. Just taking a look at your own habits and some of the things that you can control because, you know, we can only control ourselves, right? Not, not other people. So that's a really good point. And you brought up COVID and, and I was thinking during the, the pandemic years, one of the things that I read that was kind of a positive of coming out of that was something that you just mentioned, people not traveling, how, mm -hmm. how the earth was kind of showing us a glimpse that mm -hmm. she could regenerate, she could fix this. 
you know, birds were coming back, some some fish are being seen, water was a little bit cleaner. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that was a an event that had to happen to shake us up a little bit and get us out of our our slumber of what's been really going on. Yeah. And I mean, that's another example. I mean, you just look at the, you know, the the photos and the images of after COVID of how the earth was healing and changing in a very short time. It's so hopeful to consider that. It is. And that was, you know, what, two years, you know, that something mm-hmm. can, re- things can regenerate. And that's what really gave me hope in reading the book that the, you know, the earth wants us to succeed. I mean, <laughs> we want to stay here. Let's, let's help, you know, let's help support mother earth and doing what she knows how to do. Um, the, the other hopeful thing that came out of the book, I mean, a, you know, a lot of people are at loggerheads politically, but a great thing that happened recently was a piece of legislation that was enacted to address the climate crisis, you know, signed into law, the Inflation Reduction Act doesn't get a lot of, of talk. You know, I don't think people even really understand that this happened, but this is supposed to be pretty, pretty transformative and, and a big deal. I mean, do you, what do you feel about that? Were you ho- hopeful when you saw that happen? And what do you think will be the results of that? I guess it remains to be seen, right? Yeah, it was huge. It, it, it absolutely was huge that that took place. And it's very hopeful. Um, I mean, it, you know, the, the ability to, you know, invest in um, other forms of energy and, you know, green energy and um, jobs that are, that are positive for the, for climate, it's all really wonderful. And we also know that it could change in a dime. It really depends on, you know, who's, who's in office. And there actually was some recent legislation that I think is not a good thing for the environment that happened after that. And it's about, you know, opening up the oil drilling, um, in Alaska, it's going to have devastating consequences. Um, I think it's really short-sighted. So think policies matter and who we, who we vote for. I mean, it's not only who we vote for, but it's really the issues that we vote for really, really do make a difference. Every, every person matters. Right. They do. I have hope for the younger generation though. I mean, I'm Gen X. I'm kind of at the tail end of the, of the baby boom. I I was born in 65, but I'm seeing younger people running for office um, seeing people and and you know younger people in vast numbers really concerned about gun policy and wanting to change it. Do you think that this is going to be kind of a similar issue in that our younger generation? I mean, they they're really fighting for this, right? We need to get these old people out of office. You know, oh. I <laughs> think that I think ninety the young... year old people out of office. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, exactly. I I think. Young people on all sides of the aisle are absolutely getting this. They think that, I mean, they're, they're aware of what's happening and they're, they're on it. And, um, and I think that the best thing, which is really like the, the conversation that inspired the book was intergenerational is that we need to be talking to each other. We need to be talking to our children and our grandchildren and not be afraid to do that. And that we could 
inspire one another of what we what we can do together as families, as friends, as communities. So the young people get it. A lot, a lot of them do it. But you know, it's it's a matter of us really looking at our habits, and um, you know, it's it's not fair what we've done. And I'm, you know, I'm actually um, sixty, so I'm, you know, at a point in my life where I could say that I've been part of the problem, and we can claim ignorance, uh, but we can't claim ignorance now. We can claim ignorance for for our past actions, but we need to be begin to wake up and to realize that we need to do everything we can to make it as good as possible for our children and our grandchildren. Right, and you're right that it is something that should cross both both sides of the aisle, no matter where you stand. This is going to affect everybody's family, everybody's grandchildren, and we mm-hmm. want to leave them a better world, mm-hmm. you know, and even mm-hmm. they're saying that in within the next 30 years, you know, things could be catastrophic. I mean, I'm hopefully I'll still, I'll still be alive. I'm, I may be old, <laughs> all this dirt. I'll be in my eighties, but I'll still be around, you know, hopefully. And I'd like there to be a, a world that, that we can all, all participate in mm-hmm. and enjoy. Yeah. Uh, but the, the book offers some really great ideas. It educates us on a lot of the science. And like I said before, or it's not, it's not sciencey where you're going to be not understanding what's going on. And I think that that's really important that people are not afraid. And you talk about fear in the book too, right? Mm -hmm. That yeah, it's it's something that we have to face our fear of everything. Yeah. I talk about fear and I also talk about grief and, you know, grief is basically, um, when we lose things and feeling that loss and how it can be painful, it can be scary and sad. And whether it's, you know, loss of a species or it's um, loss of the way we used to live our lives, there's, there's grief associated with it and it doesn't feel good. And at the same time, pushing, just, just trying to push grief away, we know doesn't um, make it go away. So one of the best things we could do is to actually lean into it and to be with it and to move through it and to ride the waves of grief. And what helps that, which is the flip side of grief, which I also talk about in the book, is this idea and this word that we um, use called wonderment, which is like awe, but wonderment sounds sounds pretty cool. You know, it's just like this, this um, ability to notice the beauty and the the love and the amazing amazing way that our lives are organized and our connection with the natural world you know look inside like recently um the tulips are in bloom at my my home right now and i look inside the center of a tulip it's absolutely gorgeous there are, you know, there are these miracles before our eyes. And when we can connect with nature and into the loving eyes of one another, including strangers, our our hearts soften. And that helps us to heal from grief. That's true. It reminds me of I did an exercise. I went to this 
meditation uh, retreat, this three-day thing not too long ago. And one of the exercises was we had to face a, a stranger, another participant in the group, and we had to stare into their eyes for 30 seconds. Have mm. you ever done that? It's probably an old exercise. It's a, it's, I had, it is old and it's powerful and fantastic. It's so powerful. I had so much resistance going into this. I'm like, I don't want to stare at anybody. I just mm -hmm. felt so uncomfortable. And then as the exercise went on and we kept changing people, it, instead of just paying attention to how uncomfortable I was and how dumb I thought this was, I would look at the colors of everybody's eyes. And the more people that I looked in their eyes, I realized how beautiful and individual and how different everybody's eyes were. And by the end of it, like we're all hugging, oh, your eyes are so beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a, a, a kind of crazy woo-woo thing, but that this was a few years ago and that exercise still stays with me, how beautiful everybody's eyes were and how I never noticed it. I never looked at people that way. That That's a really lovely example, Diane. And there's nothing woo-woo about it. What's woo-woo about it? That's just being real. We're just being right. real. You're just being real and being present to one another. And the you know the more that we can be you know present to the world around us and to one another, you know we we know the right way to go after that. You know, like it's it, that that's our guide, that's our light to to living in the times that we're in. Right, and we are very connected, and and we really aren't that different. I think when we really drill down, I think we all want a beautiful, clean, safe world for our families and our kids, and you know, all the other stuff aside, just as mm -hmm. human beings, you know, we, we all do want the same thing. So I'm so glad that you're out there and you're talking about this and that your book is out there. So it is available now for everybody to get wherever Amazon, wherever they get their books, right? Uh, it is officially launched on June 13th. And so it's um, available. You can buy it at um, online. You could buy it in your, your local bookstores. And um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of resources in the book, and think that um, you know my my sincere hope is that it's going to you know help people. That's why I was inspired to write the book personally. Is that you know it was part of my own climate awakening journey, and I realized that there are some things that I've learned that also may be um, helpful to other people. So I, I hope that it serves. Well, I found it very helpful and informative, and I'm already thinking of who I'm going to pass it along to when I finish reading it. And I do want people to find out more about you and your organization. And you've been with mindandlife.org for a long time, right? Have you been there since the inception? Uh, well, I've been involved in the organization uh, for about 15 years and I've been in this role leading the organization. Um, I'm in my eighth year right now. Yeah. Well, you're doing some amazing work and, and congratulations on that. So find Susan at mindandlife.org and check out what's going on at the Mind and Life Institute and pick up the book, A Future We Can Love, How We Can Reverse the Climate Crisis with the Power of Our Hearts and Minds. And I have to say, it must have just been an incredible experience to introduce that talk with the Dalai Lama and Greta. Wasn't that pretty cool to do that? It was, it was, <laughs> it was amazing. It was the middle of the night for me, actually. It was about 11 o'clock at night. 
and because we have all these different time zones and so um had to had to do in the middle of the night and it was just to see the two of them together you know they both have been you know activists climate activists in their own ways the dalai lama for gener- you know for decades and to know that you could have people who are from vastly different um ages ethnicities parts of the world different ways of life to come together in a way that they care about the same thing it was so inspiring and it was pretty awesome that i could be part of it yeah it looked like it was that's pretty amazing and something that we can all get behind no matter what generation that we're a part of and thank you so much susan for spending some time with me and, and sharing your book with me and with all yeah. of us Yeah. Thank you so much, Diane. You be well. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind, Body, Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.